And thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of In The Sheds on Code With Kingy. Now I know I've been gone for a minute but I am back and with that I have a primo interview for you guys. That being with former Black Fern and Black Fern 7's representative Linda Itonu. Now she goes on to share her progression through the rugby ranks whilst also touching on some of the highs and lows of her near decade long career. Enjoy. So, yeah. thank you very much, Linda, for taking some time out tonight to have a quick quarter with me. Or, well, not a quick one. It's probably going to be a bit longer than than what you'd hoped for. <laughs> but yeah, it really is an honour to um, have my second female guest on the show, and especially one that has so much mana and has such a sort of deep history with the women's game in New Zealand. So, yeah, kudos to you. Cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I'm pretty surprised that. Oh, actually, it's it's so cool to be able to do this, and um, I don't know whether I don't know if people will get anything out of this, but I'm I'm more than happy to share my story and, and my journey through through the game. If it's anything like Teresa's, or you know, it's probably <laughs> going to blow Teresa out of the water, considering <laughs> some of the stories that you may have. I'm sure that we're going to get a lot of good feedback. So, um, how did you start playing rugby, and where did you grow up? Okay, so um, I started playing rugby in intermediate. So I was born and bred out West Auckland. So I went intermediate. I went intermediate at Rangeview. Um, so at lunchtime, they used to play um, bull rush, and there was this guy called Tonka, and he would just smash anyone. Like no one would take him on. So this one lunchtime, they're like, "Oh, you need to come and play bull rush." So um, what do you know? I end up going um, and playing ball rush, and then I end up hitting Tonka, and then from from then on, I was like, I was like, oh, I think I'm pretty good at this. So that kind of got me into like the physical contact stuff. And then when I went got into high school and um, Calston girls, I was quite a big girl, so I was pretty much a number eight, but I looked like a prop. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I started at form three, but mainly because and this isn't good, but I was a, a bit of a bully um, in school, but mainly because I was trying to stick out for my friends. But I guess rugby was kind of a way to smash people, but be allowed to do it back in the day. But no, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person anymore. I ended up enjoying the game and yeah, ended up being lucky enough to play for NZ. Mm-hmm. Now, going all the way back to when you started and yeah. you mentioned how this all sort of spurred from playing ball rush that one time at school. So when you first started taking rugby seriously or really started investing yourself into it, were there any reservations with your parents? Um, yeah. Considering, you know, like the maybe the, the stereotypes or the way that the game was viewed perhaps during your childhood or during your young adolescence, just with females around rugby? Yeah, that's actually a real good point. Um, yeah, absolutely, especially being from a Pacific Island family as well. Like back then, you're viewed as a girl that comes home and does the chores and you know does all the girly stuff. And um, I, my parents were quite reserved at first, but then when they started to come and watch my games, so I played league and rugby in high school. So I played league for Glenora, and then I played high school rugby as well. 
and they used to come and watch both and they're like oh actually she's actually pretty good so they ended up being a bit more like supportive yeah mm-hmm. okay so you got league as well so what was rugby union always the thing and like rugby league was just another opportunity to go out and smash people or was it actually like sort of a toss-up between your two loves uh to be honest i preferred league um back then because i was 15 16 playing for Glen- glenora women's team and i think that the decider was when I went to trial for um, Auckland women's team at 16 and I was also in Auckland for the Auckland secondary schools. I didn't end up getting picked for the Auckland team, but I was real gutted about it. And then from there, I was like, oh, you know, being young and not being selected, you probably, I probably thought I was all there. And I was thinking, oh, okay, I guess league isn't for me. So, so I just ended up sticking with rugby. But at the time, I actually really loved playing rugby league. Oh wow! Yeah. Rugby league's lost then. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned playing rugby and taking it seriously when you got to Kelson Girls. What was the the women's game like, and how seriously was it taken at secondary school level? And um, because that was going to be one of my questions, whether or not there were enough teams throughout the different schools to actually have your own competition, or whether a lot of it was then paced back on the clubs. Could you could you sort of give me and perhaps the listeners a bit of an understanding of you know, what what well, your sort of rugby competition looked like um, during your time at school? During my time um, in high school, I think the game's kind of gone downhill a bit in the secondary school level. Like, girls, not many are playing it as much in, in regards to the 15-a-side game. Um, back then, we had so we, there were quite a few teams, and they were all quite, um, like, the same level, and the competition was pretty good. Yeah, I've always known the game back then to be real physical and even the school level was pretty good as well but um yeah that that would be the differences back then there were quite a few teams now like my high school team are struggling just to get numbers for for a rugby team mm-hmm. yeah the, like that that sort of crosses over to, to the men's game as well we've seen a dwindling number of um, yeah. participants especially when um, kids are leaving school and just the probably the demise of club rugby um, yeah. as a result of all the stuff that's getting invested into the academies and into the professional programs because a lot of kids these days, and, and I'm talking probably primarily with the men's space, a lot of them don't even really play club rugby. They might have one or two years when, they, when they're fresh out of school, but if they're really, really talented, they're sort of yeah. fast-tracked into the provincial teams and then fast-tracked into the super rugby teams and they, they sort of go from there. It's, it's pretty unfortunate uh, considering... You know the, the history that a lot of the clubs around New Zealand have. Yeah. Um. That you know a lot of the time the best talent does go amiss. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was quite cool. I guess out of lockdown and depending on like what we'll see, um, with this upcoming provincial season, you know, like the fact that you know a lot of the the provinces these days in the men's space, a lot of the All Blacks aren't playing because of like how much rugby they've got on and how many tests we're we're watching on telly each year. So. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit sidetracked there, but um, we'll, we'll get back to you. So yeah. you're playing at school. It's a pretty strong competition. And so what was the plan sort of moving out of school? Like, were you involved in representative teams that kept you, you know, within the, the Auckland Rugby Union? Yeah, so um, when I was in high school, I made the representative level, so like Auckland Secondary Schools. I was playing for Waitamata Club, so I played, Waitamata Women's Rugby on a Saturday, League on a Sunday, and then Monday was school rugby. So I, that's what I did when I was in high school. 
Um, when I left, so when I um, ended up choosing rugby, I ended up just playing union um, on the Saturday and um, Monday. Um, but one of my first clubs was Waitamata. So my first year, I, I, when I was playing for them, I ended up getting picked up. So I don't know if you know Daryl Sorsor. He was one of he was an ex Black Ferns coach. Mm-hmm. So he got me to go and play for Ponsonby, and then that was a year out of school. And then from from then I got picked for Auckland Storm, and then I made the Black Ferns in the same year, just a year out of school. Yeah, what was it like? Because that was one of the the notes that I had down. You made your Black Ferns debut at eighteen. Yeah. Like, was that quite overwhelming for you, or do you, are you the sort of person that takes that sort of stuff in their stride? Not 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 as an arrogance thing, but yeah. you know, like you you embrace the challenge of being immersed in, in a high performance space. Um, I think back then, because it was all quite new, like especially for myself, like coming from a Pacific Island family, like you don't have a diet. <laughs> um, you know, you love the island food. So when I went into the environment, you had to eat well. Um just like being real professional with um, like how you present yourself, like turning up to trainings on time or like meetings. So, like that was all new to me. And I learned real quickly, like the older girls or the more experienced girls uh, made it known to me quite early. One of my coolest memories when I first made the Storm team was going to a training. And imagine going from schoolgirls rugby and you kind of like not saying that I was real good, but um, like, it's not as hard as women's rugby so when you come in you're like you think you're all that so when you go in and then um I went to go and run the ball up to one of the senior players I didn't know who she was at the time and then she just um fully smashed me and I went flying backwards she holds her pad over me and she goes welcome to um storm and that was Helen Vaanga. <laughs> yeah. so I saw a member and that from that day that like brought me back to earth and I was like okay this is quite different this level um and that was cool, just having those girls take me under their wing and just really show me the way I really, like, now I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there, you know, there's been a lot of talk around the women's game and, and bringing it up to the men's level um, in terms of the resources and the money that's invested into it. So, so going back to your time, both involved with the Auckland Storm and when you were first welcomed into the Black Ferns environment at 18, what sort of other stuff did you have going on? Like, were you working Monday through Friday and having to train late at nights or get up early in the mornings to to work around your rugby commitments? Like, what, what yes. sort of mahi did you have on at the time? Okay, so, like, straight out of school, so I was studying. Oh, I was part of the pro sport program at Auckland, Auckland Rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, back then you had to fit it around what you already had. So you had, like... Um, trainings early in the morning it could be like 5 30 and we had to meet at the tr- so they had something called the um like oh like the academy and they had this club called the chub club and the chub club are like yeah it's self-explanatory yeah <laughs> i never quite made it out of the chub club unfortunately but <laughs> but um yeah so chub club is for people that haven't met fitness standards or their body fat percentage is too high so um, you had to, every, it was like five days a week, 5.30 sessions, and then after that you'll have studies or mahi, and then you'll come back in the evening and you do another session. So that was, you had to just try and fit it around your own, your lifestyle. Wow. So you're involved with the Auckland Academy, getting up at 5.30 every single morning and running. 
I mean, I, yeah. I, I hate running, so I can't even imagine having to do that every single morning. And then what, you turn up for your club game on the Saturday, yeah. and then were you saying that, so when you left school, you, you gave up league once you were involved with the Auckland rugby, you, yeah. you had to give up league? Wow. Yeah, I, I made the decision because, yeah, I thought, okay, I don't get picked, so league is probably not the thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so then what was what was the natural progression from there? Like from when you were 18 and, and made your debut, were you fortunate enough to be consistently picked in, in the Black Ferns from then on? Yeah, I was I was quite fortunate. So the year that I first got picked for NZs in Auckland, um, the number eight for New Zealand, who was also in the storm, she got a knee injury. Like, I don't wish that upon anyone, but that was the opportunity for me. That's I think that's the only reason why I got picked. And then from then, I, um, I think... I'd like give credit to the Auckland Academy because if I didn't go through all those tra- that, that training, I wouldn't have been prepared enough to, to um, sustain my or keep my position in the Blackburns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, on that note, just for you personally, are you the sort of person that is quite good at getting up and doing your own training or, or are, you, are you the sort of person that likes having like a running buddy or, or being in a team environment or is it something that you've you've learned to, I guess, love and hate as your career go- has gone on? Yeah, I'm pretty, um, like, self-motivated. Like, I'm a big believer that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. So I can't really rely on other people to get me, you know, into that black jersey or the storm jersey. It, like, um, I'll tell you a story. I don't know if you want to have stories, but no, um, no, when, no, I please, in, please. when I was in... Um, so this is what, I'm a real visual person, so um, when I was in school, like before I made the Auckland team and the Black Friends team, I used to have a, a postcard on the wall of the Storm team and then a poster of the Black Friends um, on my wall as well. And every morning I used to wake up before I go training and I used to go, thank you, Lord, for my position in, in the um, Auckland team. So I used to like say that to myself every time I got up to go training. Um, when I made the storm, I took that po- the postcard down, and then I did the same thing to the Black Friends um, poster, and I just keep doing that, like keep telling myself, you know, that I can do it, and thanking um, God that I'll make the team, and then it happened. So, yeah, like like I said, if something's supposed to happen, you gotta, it's like really up to you as an individual. You can't really get people to try and drag you out of bed or or earn, you know, earn the jersey. That's really cool. I'm actually quite into manifestation myself, yeah. um, but 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 like you said, you know, there's it's sort of a balance between having that inner confidence and inner self belief that you can do it, but then also making sure that you put in all the mahi to make sure that you know once you get that opportunity, you know, you're confident and ready to go. Yeah, so no, that, that, that 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 that's very cool that you know you, you even um, picked it up at such a young age. Is that something that you perhaps grasp from your parents? Is that something that they passed on to you or is it something that you sort of just naturally picked up yourself I think um like a big contributor you know like I know people have their own beliefs in that but um at a young age I I started going church and youth group and that kind of stuff and I just I learned it through church to be honest was it so was it always something that you'd incorporated into any sort of commitments that you had or was it something that you sort of primarily just used towards rugby or is it 
something that you know like oh, no. maybe it's not just you know the the posts on the wall then you know maybe you're, you applied it to other parts of your life yeah definitely I think like it's a lifestyle it's not just for rugby I think that's what I'm grateful for is that through my journey with rugby I, I learned so much about myself and how to apply what I've learned there into other aspects of my life so for me it's a it's um it's just part of me now it's not about trying to be something it's just who I am and that's just how I took if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah. no, totally 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 now so you mentioned that you manifested uh, your opportunity to get a go at playing with the storm and, and you took that with both hands and then that obviously was followed up by the the selection in the Blackburn so take mm-hmm. us back to your debut uh, who did you play against you know like what was the the week leading up or like how did you find out you know was that at a team training did you get a call on the phone and then you know, who was the first person that you called once you found out all the great news? Oh, yeah. You're taking me way back. I don't even know if I <laughs> had too many concussions to remember back then, but I'll try my best. Um, yeah, I, th- I got the call when I was at home. I actually didn't believe that I was in the team, so I kind of told my parents, and they were like, are you sure? Like, they were questioning the fact that I'm, I made the team. And, yeah, so my parents were the first ones that I told. Um like when I went, I couldn't even believe that I made it, but I was real grateful um, that I made it. But it was weird. I was so nervous my first game because um, I started, I ended up starting for the Black Ferns and um, we played against World 15 at um, Northland's home grounds. Sorry, mm-hmm. I don't know what that's called. Yeah, so I just remember um, playing and then our first five at the time, which was Anna Richards, she was like, like the whole game, I was like trying to run these mean as lines, but the whole time I was like the a decoy, and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know why I'm a decoy, but now I know why. It's because when she passed me the ball, I knocked it on. <laughs> so that was my memory of my first my debut, and um and I always remember it because that's when I got my nickname, which which is Bindi. Okay, so where does that spur from? Oh, so after that game, um. We, uh, the fans asked for autographs, so all of our five fans that were there, because you know <laughs> the stadiums were just really packed. <laughs> um, but one of the kids go to um, Anna, which is our first wife, goes, oh, um, is your uh, number eight um, part Indian? Like, so that was a kid's general, like, genuine question. And then um, after that, she said, oh, then she started calling me, um, you know, that the dot on the head it's called a bindi mm-hmm. yeah that's the name of it so that's how i ended up getting that name bindi and it's just stuck with me yeah what a story all because of some <laughs> random kid in northland eh? yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so <laughs> following on from your debut um you've achieved a lot in your career um one of the things i was going to throw to you is that I, I i did my homework and i found that auckland has won 15 provincial titles uh, since oh. the women's provincial competition was created. So how many of those were you lucky enough to be a part of? I think like eight or nine of them. Wow. Does yeah. any one of those stand out for any particular reason? You know, because I know a lot of people talk about these sorts of honours and, and then when they win things multiple times, you know, it's almost like your kids. It's quite hard to to distinguish between them, so... I guess, I guess for you, like, does does your debut season or you know your first champions medal stand out, or was it your last one because perhaps that's when you went out with your swan song? 
honestly don't know why. Like, I think one of my highlights is um, doing Storm with um, my younger sister. That's a highlight for me. But probably this past season, mainly because Auckland, like we went for a, like last year was a first time in a while that we've made semifinals. Mm-hmm. Oh no, sorry, finals. Um, and it was like real important or like a highlight for me because I felt like we restored the mana back into the Auckland Storm jersey. And I think that's a massive thing for me because at least I know when I left the jersey that I've left it in a good place and it can only get better. Mm-hmm. But yes, that's a hard one to to answer, to be, to be honest. All right, so maybe this one might be even more difficult. So you are a three-time Rugby World Cup champion, uh, the, the first of which was in 2006. And again, like, you, I, you, you'd probably find it hard to distinguish it. And you mentioned playing with your sister, and, 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 I, and I do have that noted down to get to that, especially the, the Rugby World Cup that's just gone. So um, perhaps let's just take us back to that first Rugby World Cup that you played in and just how special that was for you, because you still would have been so, so young at the time, and, you know, you would have played with quite a few legends. Yeah, it was pretty surreal, like, that um, tournament. It was as it was like the first time, not first time, probably the second time I've ever been out of New Zealand, and it was to a real cool country, like, we were in Canada. So it was like all real new for me like especially more f- like coming from a family that you know we didn't have a lot growing up and you know come and there's eight of us so it's pretty massive for us to even be able to go overseas so I guess that was the first thing um I think the my memory when I first sang the national anthem at the world cup was just when um we were growing up you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you're, you know, um, so when we're singing the national anthem, all I could think about was my parents and my all my siblings in my dad's um, Mitsubishi chariot that he um, turned <laughs> that he turned into a, a manual. So it used to be automatic, but he put it in, he changed the engine into a, um, I don't know, into a manual. Yeah, and I just remember them having to like my whole family having to go to all my trainings just for me to get to that point so like I think that's one of the biggest things that I remember when I first went in that first World Cup is just remembering the people that helped me get to that place and just really appreciating them and wanting to do my best for them so that's yeah my 2006 World Cup. It's quite unique, those sorts of stories, right? Because everybody has their own journey. And uh, you mentioned yourself not coming um, from a very prosperous background and that uh, a lot of the time, you know, it's even though it might be you on TV, you're actually a representation of maybe not even just your family, but, you know, coaches and mentors that have, have played such a significant part in whatever career people take up and obviously for you it was rugby so mm. yeah I guess that would have been quite rewarding come the end of that tournament um, you had a, a first place winner's medal um, and then you go on to win your second World Cup in, in 2010 uh, but prior to, to 2010 uh, in 2009 you actually made your debut for the Black Fern Sevens yeah. now for someone who said that they were a part of the Chub Club 
how did you end up evolving into a sevens player? Because I know oh, that yeah. the fitness gets even harder when you're getting to the to the shortened game. Oh, I have no idea. I I initially went, so that's when Daryl Sosa, he was coaching. And I initially went because I wanted just, just to get fitter for the 15 season. And then he was like encouraging me to give it a go. I remember the last fitness um, test that we had, um, we had to get, I think level 13 for the beat test. Now they do yo-yos. And um, we you had to get that or over in order to actually be selected. So um, on the last beep, I just dove over the line. I don't know why I did that, but I, I, dove, <laughs> I dove over the line. And caught, like the most humbling story is that they had one more position to pick for that World Cup, and it was out of myself, Anna Richards, and um, Kendra Coxage, and I was fortunate enough to to get that um, that position. So I'm real, real grateful for that, and it's really humbling. Where was your first tournament with the Sevens? Um, in 2009, oh, they had um, qualifiers before that in Samoa, but back then there were no tournaments. We had to have the, the World Cup. The girls had to be part of the World Cup in order for us to be considered for the Olympics. Right. So that's a, so they kind of just put the team together and then we went to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And you ended up winning that World Cup, right? No. No, you didn't? Oh. No, we didn't. <laughs> we came, yeah, we were in the finals, so Australia went overtime. And, um, yeah, that, you know, um, I went to go do a cover tackle and the chick got the try. <laughs> You're bringing bad, bad, uh, bad memories. There, oh Jordan. no, so, sorry. I'm, 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 scram- I'm scrambling. I'm scrambling through my notes. You know, it's because you have so many winners' medals, like you know, as as part of your honours board, that it's quite hard sometimes to distinguish because you have to write it in such small writing because of how many achievements that you have. Ah, oh, uh, well, that's okay. Nah, honestly, I got over it. It was funny. Oh, it's not funny, but at the time I was real gutted. But when I left that field, I felt like I gave my all, so I couldn't be. Like, I wasn't down, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. I felt like I, I gave my all, so I can't be um, down about that. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with that sometimes myself. Eh? Not to say that, you know, I mean, a, a good game for me, uh, they're very few and far between. But, you know, but w- w- when I am fortunate enough to, to share the feeling that you just mentioned, uh, yeah, it's, um, I guess it's a lot better than perhaps having a bad game and losing as well, but... I guess at the end of the day, and I'm guessing for someone like yourself, you know, if you're not a winner on the scoreboard, it's quite hard to take, you know, you take the positives out of it, but then to to, to actually feel, I guess, good after a game like that. Yeah, it's weird because, um, like, those that know me well know that I'm the my worst critic, and I used to struggle with that. Like, um, I would have, like, our team will have a good game or I might have a good game, but I will still find something that I wasn't happy about and um at one of the games like I must have done one thing wrong and then my sister me- um messaged me this is when we didn't have like FaceTime or anything it was only like emails mm-hmm. so she emailed me and she was like oh I'm just emailing you because I know that you're probably not happy about your performance because of this one thing so um it is a it's a, it is a um kind of a technique you need to learn how to not be so critical about yourself and because it it, it it did take me a while to like be, be happy with your performance and look at the little gems out of each game rather than mm-hmm. looking at it might be like what two percent of the game that you didn't do well and 
No, totally, yeah. Again, that's something that I I struggle with myself when I play, you know, for, for all the good that you can do. And I, and I guess this will probably resonate with a lot of other rugby players or just sport goers themselves, you know, like you can be quite critical of that one pass and you feel like, you know, everybody remembers that one bad pass that you threw when in reality, you know, everyone just brushes it off. And um, I guess that's, especially like for someone like you who's playing at the highest level, I guess that's the difference between sometimes the good and the great players is their ability to, to brush off their mistakes and not let it get to them. Because I think we've all seen, and, you know, like you know, like yourself and, and even someone like myself, we've had games where, you know, one bad thing leads to another and it's almost like yeah. everything starts to spiral downwards. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so I was just, just going to say, uh, sorry for interrupting you, so is that something that, no, you've, right. that you've got a lot better with or had got a lot better with over the course of your career? Just, you know, yeah. m- you know being able to, you know, stay in the blue and, you know, when you're in the red, get out of it as quickly as possible? Yeah, I, I would say that I've learned that over time. So when you asked me about my first Sevens World Cup, so even though I made the team, I still didn't mentally, I was like, I'm not meant to be here. Um, I'm not fast. I'm not as fit as the other girls. Um, what am I doing here? So when I went to that World Cup, I remember my one of my first games were playing against Italy and I had to go to the toilet eight times before getting on the field because that's how nervous I was. I was like, I'm mm-hmm. going to get run around, blah, 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 like all that. But I just changed my mentality. So how I looked at it is if I work hard off field and do all that stuff, then my mentality on a rugby field is it's my playground. So when I so when I changed it and I thought, okay, when I go on the rugby field, it's my playground, I'm just going to have fun. And then that kind of helped me with my like how I approach games after that after that tournament mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's when you know because I've just gone and backed and checked my notes and you actually did win a rugby world cup sevens but in 2013 yes, yes that's so right. so yes yeah I'm, I'm, <laughs> sorry about that last one everyone um <laughs> yeah right. uncle needs to check his notes properly so so fast forward to, to 2013 um and was it like a redemption thing for you having lost that that previous world cup sevens was it you know was it a mission for you to perhaps right the wrongs you know as a team going into that tournament yeah i guess um it was a bit different because it felt like yeah we had that pressure but i feel like it was just a totally new team new journey because we had quite a few new girls to the game as well that time so we had like Portia and kayla who were quite new to to sevens so, and a lot of our focus was not about, you know, trying to, you know, prove anything, but just focusing on our own team, our own circle, so that when we go out there and play, it's about us, not about the other team. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite different, um, the two journeys. Um, we had a real good um, tight-knit group um, that time as well. So we were led by Horiana Manuel. So she's one of my um, best friends. But yeah, the environment was a bit different, and I think with the type of training and the coaching we had as well, I think that set us apart from the other teams. I don't sure. even know if that answered your question. No, 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 it totally did. Now, I am going to jump into perhaps another sour memory of yours, but it is to oh, then good. jump to a good one. So after doing a bit of reading, again, I do do my homework with the stuff, so sometimes when I take down my notes... Sometimes my 2010s look like 2013s or the other way around. So uh, hence, hence my, my mistake before. But 
yeah, the 2014 Rugby World Cup. Oh, um, you're going there. Yeah, yeah, I, I am going there. I, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not going to dive too deep and, and ask you what happened, but I read that, or it was reported that you were very close to retiring after that World Cup because of the pain that came from not winning it, um, having won your previous two, and maybe just the way that that tournament unfolded, but. What kept you in the game was actually the opportunity to play with your sister in the Black Ferns yeah, after her selection true. the following year. So before I get to the good part um, of being able to share such a special space with such a special person in your life, just how close were you to actually hanging up your boots? Oh, like that was going to be a definite, like after 2014, because I felt like I'd been doing rugby for too long and my body just needed, I just needed a break. So, like, my last thing was to win, you know, the 2014 World Cup. Like, it wasn't even uh, if, it was more a win-type mentality. Like, I just thought we, our team should have done that. But, yeah, after that World Cup, I was like, man, nah, we didn't even tap into, like, our full potential in that whole tournament. Like, we, I would still stand uh, on the fact that we were the best team there. And if I'm to be real, maybe selection might have been the reason um, we didn't come through with the results and that's just the reality of of rugby as well but um yeah it wasn't really a good tournament to finish on and I'm that type of person that likes to finish on a on a high as well so having contemplated retirement at, at the back end of 2014 what was your thing like was when you got home from the tournament was it more that you got back involved with the with the Auckland Storm and it, would, it just so happened that, you know, your sister sort of had a bit of a purple patch and that's what sort of drew you in to, to stay involved in the Blackfern um, environment. Like, at the end of that tournament, had you let the coaches know or let the powers at be know that you weren't all that interested at, at playing at the top level anymore? If I'm to be real, like, I'm not going to be, like, act like I'm all good. <laughs> but, um, like, during that 2014 year, like, before that, because I, I was still involved in the sevens program, mm-hmm. um, but I think that was my kind of my last year in sevens, like I didn't get reselected. So I think the biggest factor in me making that decision is because, you know, I, I got dropped from sevens and, you know, like that transition of going from full-time professional to kind of trying to think of what am I going to do with myself? I wanted to enjoy playing rugby again and like, like I said, like, um, finish playing rugby, not on a low, but, like, really enjoying it, and I think that was a major factor in my decision to, to play again, and then, fortunate enough, me and my sister ended up making the team um, the same year. So, had your sister been involved with you in the Auckland Storm prior to 2015? No, that would have been her first year in, in the Storm as well, I think. Oh, wow, so she's another bolter like you, just... Unbelievably talented at such a young age, and then kicks on you know, to the national team. Yeah, you know, she's. You know how you have those family members that are just naturally talented, mm-hmm. and you have those ones that have to work hard for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my sister. She's like pretty. She's like real talented, and like just got that natural skill and stuff like that. Wow. So, so it, it really was that quick for you guys. So her first year that she was playing for the Auckland women's team, she really was like you just propelled to the national team and it's just 
sort of got a roll on from there and I know she might I, have made it earlier. I'm not too well, I'm really bad with dates. But yeah, but but nonetheless the 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 fact that you get to not only play for your country because I mean that that, that that's a huge feat in itself, but then like you said, to be to be one of three siblings in the women's game to, to play for the New Zealand national team, I mean that's that's gotta be incredibly humbling for both yeah. you as sisters, but but also an awesome thing and a, a thing that your family is immensely proud of. So, I mean, yeah. if you can, um, I know you mentioned that you, your memory might be a little shoddy these days, um, but... I don't do know you, if it's do, concussion or old age. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, you know, when you found out that you were going to, well, you know, you there was the possibility that you're going to be able to share the field? With your sister, do you, can can you take us back? You know, yeah. were you were you at home? Were you at training? Yeah, well, she got. I um, I actually don't know when we got um the call. Oh, I actually we were at home, and um we kept asking each other if we got the call yet because if you got the call, then you would have made the team. Mm-hmm. So she she got the call before me that she made it, but I hadn't got the call yet. I got it like later on at night. And then she was like, no, yeah, I got the call. And I was like, oh, man, I haven't even got the call yet. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, not my sister makes it. I don't. Yeah, so when we both made it, oh, we just cried. And the and um, when we first um, we picked, or like made the team to actually play on that, that first game, like there's a photo of us and we were like ugly crying. It was just beautiful. <laughs> like we actually looked really ugly crying during the national anthem but that's all good that's the meanest memory yeah, totally 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 uh, so when was the when was the first time you guys shared the field with each other do you do you remember like did she start with you or you know did, were you on the bench you know like do you remember like the the point in the game where you know you guys were just on the field together and you're sort of just looking at each other being like you know what yeah. the hell is happening you know we're playing for the black ferns together yeah, yeah. so um it was against England. She was on the bench. She come on, I think maybe the last twenty minutes, and we we had a scrum, and I just looked at her. I was like, "Hey, you better do your job, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you got to come on for twenty minutes. You better do your job." Nah, I just gave her a hug, and then told her that after. Yeah, another one of my notes that I that I wanted to pay attention to because I know that, um, especially being an older sibling. I mean, I'm I'm an older sibling myself. And I know that we can get quite protective over our yeah. family. So, you know, being on a rugby field, you know, did anything change for you or had anything changed for you for the times that you spent on the field with your sister? You know, like if you're you know, not not saying that she ever did or, you know, whether it ever happened to you, you know, was there ever a time where you perhaps got laid out or um, <laughs> you, you didn't win the contact and then, you know, you're like, no one does that to my sister. And then, like, oh, you're yeah. in there making sure that you, you clean up the person who perhaps um perhaps sorry doubt at the damage oh yeah def- i remember the first time because yeah i'm real protective um because my sister and my older sister they played as well but that was when we played league but dora's first um club game because even though she's like a prop but she's quite like she's standoffish like she doesn't really enter that you know the if someone's gonna pick a fight she won't do anything so I was all the way, I was playing in the backs for club. I don't know why they put me in the backs. But um, there was a chick, like, collaring her, like, 
hitting her, I ran all the way from the other side of the field and I grabbed her and I was like, you leave my sister alone. Like, probably more aggressive than that, but yeah, I, I have, I have, like, but that's with anyone, like, that I play with. Like, I've, I find that my teammates are my family, so if anyone messes with anyone in my team, I would probably do the same, but that's the only time I've ever done it. I'm not really a fighter on the field. Yeah, I'd love to even have, like, that inner confidence to go up to someone in the opposition and say, like, hey, don't you dare with my, mess with my yeah. teammates, so... Cause I know, like, I know we've never met, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seventy kilos dripping wet, and probably about five foot eight on a good day. So, if that's any sort of visualization of the intimidation that I can um inflict <laughs> on the enemy, yeah. But you know, I try my hardest, and and that's all anyone can ever ask of me. <laughs> um, as long as you show up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. So. From there, um, so from 2015, you guys are involved in the Blackfern setup, and you you made it a point, not only as sisters, but I guess as as members of that Blackferns team, to win the 2017 Rugby World Cup, and you did so, but in comparison to the the previous two World Cups that I mentioned that you'd won in 2006 and 2010, did anything differ? Um, perhaps with having your sister involved and having, you know, set out that goal so, so early on or, or two years prior, did anything change for you? Like, you know, did you, was the training that much more intense or, you know, and and even being um, perhaps an elder statesman of the group, you know, like, yeah. you know, how much did your role change um, with, with, with being such, you know, being a leader? Like, did you, were you a lot more focal that time around? Um, I'm pr- like, uh, those that know me in the, environment oh just in general I'm the same person whether whether I'm in rugby or normally like in general but they know that I'm pretty straight up like if something needs to be sorted I'll like I'll say it like I'm I'm big on culture in the team and I think if you have a good culture and everyone buys into it and you have a winning culture then you have a winning team and that was my big contributor to to the Black Ferns is just making sure that the girls keep their standards. If it if they don't, then I'll speak. It was different because in the previous, say in the 2014 uh, World Cup, I was one of the leaders. In the 2017 one, I wasn't. But in saying that, you don't have to have the title of a leader to, to act like a leader. So um, I felt like it was my duty as a senior player to make sure that, you know, the young ones coming through feel comfortable you know, they're up to, to scratch or to our standards. And they're also um, us as leaders that we lead by example. But that was probably probably the only difference and also the fact that I didn't really play much in that 2017 World Cup. And also um, because before I did go over, I got a real bad hamstring injury. So I was actually quite fortunate to even be picked in that team. I think it was like three weeks beforehand we played um, club game and two of my tendons and my hamstring was partially torn so mm. they were kind of like hit and miss with me going um and it was a big risk for the team to take me but i'm like real grateful that the coaches you know still still took me but it was it was cool because i got to see my sister like just grow and and just be confident and become the player that she is because she's like she she was awesome in that world cup and i, I was so happy that i was able to be there to witness that yeah yeah well, yeah I, I can only imagine 
and you've got an extra winner's medal hanging up at home now, courtesy of, of the coaches picking you. Uh, another question I want to throw at you is that you, you retire in 2018 at, at the end of the, the French Test Series, but going back to that goal of winning that Rugby World Cup and you know going out on the right note, having had the idea of retiring after the 2014 Rugby World Cup, why did, why did you, not, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, and you know, I mean this in the nicest possible way, why did you choose to, to keep playing in 2018 rather than retire no, after right. that World Cup? I know, right? Just can't stop playing. No, everyone keeps asking me that too. They're like, oh, but there's Bindi, she's a player that, ne- that never really retires. Um, <laughs> like, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't really play much of 2017 World Cup. So I kind of felt like I didn't really earn that, you know, and I didn't really play. Like, I, I want to finish playing good footy because even um, before that, I didn't feel like I played good rugby. So 2018 was a bit different. It was just more about myself um, coming back, playing some good footy and finishing playing good footy. And that was the reason why I did the extra year. Cool. Totally justified. And so... Having obviously started playing um, with the Black Ferns in 2003 and then finishing up two years ago, the women's game has gone through a gigantic amount of change uh, in terms Excellent. of, like, like I've mentioned, the resources that have been invested into it, uh, the money, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, we have the Farah Palmer Cup on television now, we have the, the Black Ferns acting as a curtain raiser to All Blacks games. Uh, like you said, the the full time professional sevens players, who are now based at the Mount, you know, for you, like, how is how has it been as someone who's been sort of caught up in all of it, and then you know, obviously coming to the tail end of your career now, you know, is it is it something that you're quite proud of, you know, like, and even at the time, were you were you like quite vocal and quite a big advocate for you know for the equality of the women's game, especially here in New Zealand? I wouldn't say I was vocal, but I did. Like I was, I did get behind like the fact that, you know, there shouldn't be a differentiation. Rugby's rugby, whether it's male or female playing it. But yeah, it's been massive, eh? and like now people, like my like, Ruby Toy always says that we're not the curtain raiser, we're the main event, and that's a kind of mentality people have now with the women's game, which would have been, it's way different from before. Like people look at and. We used to be classed as community rugby in New Zealand rugby, so it wasn't even representative rugby. It was Black Ferns was classed as community rugby. So the shift from how it used to be to now is huge, and even like uh, sponsors are getting into it. There's more money pumped into the women's game as well, and like you see the popularity within schools, and you get more girls that are playing it now, which is good. Does that answer your question, Jordan? I don't know no. if it does. No, it does. Um, and, and then stemming from that, like you said, there's been a lot of positive change. But yeah. for you personally, is there anything else that you'd like to see perhaps done in the near future that you think would help enhance the women's game and develop it even further? Or are there long-term goals that you know, you've had talks with you know fellow female players um, that you think could be quite progressive with the women's game you know just just from spending just from having spent so much time in those environments and and even at the community level yeah 
Oh, well, we have quite a few girls that are doing quite a bit for the game at the moment and are quite vocal. So, for for example, Ruby and um, Les Ketu is now the captain, and Fialfa Mosili, Tammy Wilson, who's part of Players Association, they, they're massive in terms of driving the women's game as well as Farah Palmer. Um, yeah, in terms of what I want to want to see more of is like, I guess it's more support around the female game off field, because you know how you have a lot of athletes. So, for example, how you mentioned about how kids are being picked out of school young. Well, you have that in the women's game now, but the thing is, are we preparing them for life or upsets um, within the game? So getting more of that kind of support around them and also even more, um, like I know they've pumped uh, money into into the provincial game, but we still, it's so obvious that we, that our, the women aren't priority so making um you know women priority not women just athletes priority in all the provincial unions like there's no female male it's just rugby i think that's what i'd love to see and even i know it's a long shot um but hopefully in the near future that we have the 15s game like full-time professional because at the moment they're still semi-professional at the moment mm-hmm. yeah like, i really do take my hat off to, to like you mentioned for the girls who are who are sort of solely playing in that fifteen aside game, because yeah. like you said, it's a very high level of rugby, but yeah. you know it's you know it's almost a second job for them because they they're yeah. having to commit to you know, their own mahi outside of rugby to to make sure that all the bills are paid. Yeah, um, so true. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah, hopefully that sort of stuff isn't too far away. Yeah. I, I think that sort of captures, uh, I guess, your rugby journey or all that I wanted to, to take from it. And, and I hope that the, the listeners have um, appreciated all the stories that you've shared with me. But one of the things I like to do with, with all of the guests that I have on is that I've got a, a, a closing segment called 10 in the bin. So I've got 10 oh. questions for you. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And yep. you just you just answer them to the best of your ability. And I, and I don't even ask you, I don't need to ask you to be transparent because you have been uh, yeah. Throughout this entire I'm interview, real. thankfully. Yeah. Uh, so, if, yeah, if Linda, you know, if, if she's having a nice meal or she's going out with the girls, uh, what sort of drink will she typically be be having on the side, or perhaps not on the side, or you know, as part of the main course? Just water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I just I just had this taste of this new wine. I forgot what it's called now. Okay, but but so you're a wine gal. Yeah, a wine. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't do white wine myself. Um, there's, there's something about a red wine. Eh? It's quite hearty, especially yeah. on a on a cold night. Um, again, getting sidetracked. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you've you've been a part of a number of teams over the course of your career. So, who is the biggest coach's pet that you've either played with or just been around? Coach's pet, Charmaine Smith. Is there a reason why? <laughs> Are there any more stories that you'd like to share? Oh, oh I think she should share it, but she's a coach's pet, definitely. <laughs> okay, Charmaine. Uh, get me in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or I'll have to get her on, you know, for, <laughs> for her to um be able to speak her, her end of the story. But, you know, going back to your playing days, though, um, like I mentioned, you know, you guys get a bit of time off, you know, after competing at the highest level. So was there anything that you jotted down as a must-do? on your day off, you know, like a massage or 
going out and having a nice feed, anything like that? Shopping, have to shop. Clothes? Um, kicks. I, I have a bad addiction. Like, I, I shop too much. True. I shop, yeah, I don't have enough space for the stuff that I buy. How many pairs of shoes have you have you got on you at the moment? Um, probably over 60, 60, 70 pairs. You do know you only have two feet, right? Yeah, I know. I Actually, my family have told me that I need to get rid of my shoes. Yeah, it's an addiction. Do you have any family members that are the same size shoe that you could perhaps just float off to them or, or let them borrow or even you know Actually, like yes, you, you give it to them and then you let yeah. them put it in their house so that way you know like they're always going to be there for you they're just not <laughs> in that space or not taking up so much space in your living area yeah it's bad <laughs> all right you mentioned being a part of the chub club and having done it five days a week i'm guessing you would have gone through some horrendous running blocks so yeah which of those running blocks was your least favourite? Is there is there one that springs to mind? Like, did, did you hate doing a bronco? Did you hate doing a yo-yo? Or was there a particular drill that you always, you'd go yeah. off and you'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm too sore, I'm too sore, I can't do this one, I've got to sit it out. No, um, with Chub Club, we didn't have the bronco in that back in those, those days. So we had only the One Tree Hill, that summit part at the top. Um, that was my least favourite. We had to run up backwards right to the top where the giveaway sign is and if we slowed down before then that was that that rep wasn't counted so we had to go all the way down and start again oh that was the worst i'm, I'm just thinking about that and, and my summer. calves are already tightening up and we, even, you know even it's more the quads eh? like when you're running back it's the quads get all real tight oh man uh, i'm i guess you're obviously with your retirement you don't have to see the one tree hill <laughs> or especially oh. not running it backwards, right? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, favorite cheat meal? Oh, has to be um fries. From I, a particular I love place. Good fries. Um, yep, Stoddard Road, Mount Roscoe. I forgot what it's called. I just know it's a red building. They've got mm. the best fries. Yep. And just fries? Is there's, there's no sort of like cheese or bacon thrown over the top? Just your good nah. old fashioned crinkle cut with, with a bit of salt and pepper on top. Oh, yeah, it's, it comes with, they have their own seasoning, and it's like, mm. I, I rate it better than KFC fries, and I like KFC fries. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was in the Chub Club. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, you've, you've already mentioned that you're a bit of a shopaholic, so obviously with having done so much shopping, there has to be one regretful purchase amongst oh, the, the, the many that you've had, so... Is there one that sort of springs to mind where, you know, perhaps you've gone out and bought something and been like, I did not need to buy that and I spent way too much money on it and I cannot return it? I do it, I do it all the time because I've got this, um, I've, I'm addicted to Korean series and I don't know if you've seen any of them, but they have this mask on there and it's like a LED mask. Have you seen one? No, sorry. Oh, I might oh, have to do like a bit of Google. On, it's like a beauty thing and you put on your face and it, lights up different colors so i was like oh those look pretty cool so i went on amazon and i did a purchase it was like 299 dollars and i got i was like i could have just got a mask like this at the two dollar shop that was the best the worst um purchase that i've ever made like no unnecessary uh, yeah well you i guess we, google, yeah. you need to google it you'll see what i mean yeah 
I was just about to say, you know, um, experience is the best teacher, and I'm guessing you're not going to be buying off Amazon um, for a couple of hundred bucks uh, anytime soon. Uh, guilty music pleasure. Who would that be? Um, I, like a, I like a bit of slow jams. I'm a slow jams kind of girl. Brian McKnight. Is that what you mean? Um, I have no idea who Brian McKnight is. Oh um, my he, gosh, he, yeah. do you like slow jams? Do you like slow jams? I like to think that I have quite a wide music palette, but um, unfortunately, um, I'm, I'm not even going to, I was about to mention something with my age, but I'm, I'm just digging myself a deeper yeah. hole. So maybe I'll just yeah. kick on to the next yeah, question. Yeah, you're young, that's why you're young. But you know what, if you want to go, you know, those, you know, on a date and you want to play some music, Slow jams, old school is the way to go. Look at some Brian McKnight, some Maxwell. Okay. I'll be your best friend. I'll be your best friend. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely have to search that up in the old Spotify. I mean, you just mentioned you're a, you're a slow jams gal, so if you had a go-to dance move, what would that be? Just a two-step, um, or do you get quite peacocky with it? Are you quite a confident dancer? I like to like feel the music, you know, maybe side-to-side sway, add a little hip movement here and there. <laughs> Like I'm saying it, but I'm doing it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, the, yeah. you know, like I, I, I've practiced that much in the mirror that I was like, okay, yeah. you know, yeah, I can get this down packed. But, you know, like dancing is one of those things where you have to be so confident when, when you do it. Like even if you're the ugliest dancer, if you do it with confidence, for yeah. some reason it actually comes across as being acceptable. Whereas, Seriously, like, you yeah. just gotta own your dance moves. You know, we 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 went to um Bali with the girls, and we had the saying, "You gotta dance like no one's watching." Yeah, it, it really so is. We, yeah, actual like you just gotta own it, and if you think you look cool, you look cool. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So maybe maybe I need to fix my mindset. It's not so much my dance <laughs> yeah. moves. I need to fix my mindset. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Last question then. Cool. Who hits harder? between you and your sister? Oof. Probably my sister, to be honest. True. Does that taste like yeah. vinegar coming out of your mouth? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to be humble here. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, but seriously, she, she'll probably smash me any day. Have you seen her hit? Oh my gosh. Yes, no, yeah. yeah. When I did my homework, yeah, that was one of the hits that came up. And I'm, yeah. I'm thankful that I wasn't the one on the receiving end of it she, all yeah she can give it and like she can run over people and smash people on defense so yeah definitely she'll win the whole nine yards well um that that brings the 10 in the bin to a close and that wraps up uh the podcast really so, so um no no thank you for for being so transparent being so honest and accepting my invitation to, to share your story on Code with King. It, it, it really is an honour to have a player of your calibre who has such a deep history with rugby in Aotearoa. Mm. And thank you, really. I, I really can't say anything else. You don't have to, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. All good, anytime. I'm, I like, like you said, um, I'm as real as, like I'm the same person off-field, on-field, so... That's a, that's the only way I know is just to be real. But thanks yeah. for having me, man. That was fun as. Thanks, Thunder. <laughs> cool then. See ya.